Hi, this is Alana. You're you're listening to the Praying Christian Women podcast. How's it going, Jamie? It's going well. How about you? I'm doing good. I am having so many brain farts. So <laughs> apologies in advance for like all the words I'm going to jump off and all the great points that I plan on making that I'm going to forget. <laughs> well, it could be that you surprise yourself and like this is one of the best episodes, most smooth episodes ever. <laughs> Your, your mouth to God's ear. Yes. How about that? Well, on that yeah. note, we could pray for the episode. Let's do, do it. Okay. Just for those of you that don't know, this is Good Friday and we are doing a Good Friday special. That's what this is all about. So we're going to be praying through John 17. So let's pray before we pray. God, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to come together on Good Friday to think about Jesus and what he was going through. Lord, we just thank you for the gift of the gospel. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. And thank you for the legacy that he left us just in the example of his life, the prayers that he prayed. And we just thank you that we can look back on those and learn from them. We pray you would bless this time and set it apart for yourself and that it would be pleasing to you and that it would be just a kind of um, first fruits offering of our time today. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So yeah, happy Good Friday. That always seems like such a strange greeting. I wish we had a better Good Friday greeting. I know. And my daughter was just like, why do they call it Good Friday? I mean, and then she said, well, I guess it was good that Jesus died. Yeah, Sunday was good. Sunday was good. Friday (laughs) kind of stunk in a lot of ways. Friday should have been a Monday. (laughs) Right, right. What does your family do for any type of Good Friday observance? Usually, so sometimes we'll go to church. Church often has Mm -hmm. a Good Friday service. We've been kicking around the idea of going to a Good Friday service. Um, Sometimes we just kind of read through like the the, the time that was taking place then, the Garden Mm -hmm. of Gethsemane. Um, One thing that I want to do this year is, and we are recording this prior to Good Friday, but um, what I want to do is a Passover Seder on Thursday Mm -hmm. to remember because, um, you know, the feast of the Passover was observed on Thursday. And when I was growing up, they had like a a reenactment of the Last Supper. Mm -hmm. And that was really special. So I might do that on Thursday or maybe Friday, maybe Friday might be a better day for that anyway. And that might be kind of a neat reminder of just like really, focusing on what, what it was that Jesus did. Yeah. I don't know. What about you cool. guys? Do you have a regular, regular, not super normal. I think just about every church that we've gone to does have a, a good Friday service. So that becomes a pretty normal part. Those tend to be more somber. I heard um, a friend complain once there was, it was in Anchorage and it was like a multi-church good Friday service. Oh. And our church at the time, and most of the churches we've gone to, Good Friday is a somber service. <laughs> so my friend was complaining. She says, I went to a Good Friday service and an Easter celebration broke out. <laughs> That's funny. It's like, yeah, you got to keep the days straight. Don't get all excited. That's really good. Yeah. One yeah. Thing- I mean, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say one thing that, so I, I grew up in a Methodist church that had very, like, it was very liturgical. We observed mm-hmm. the, the seasons of the church year very, uh, methodically. 
And right. what I loved, so we had a, a cross at the front of the church and it was usually draped in. Right. I think it's Friday it was black. Right. It, oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Normally, if it was draped in anything mm-hmm. like on Easter Sunday, I think it was purple. purple. Maybe it was purple. I'm going to guess. Mm-hmm. That's how I've seen it. Black yeah. on Good Friday, mm-hmm. but purple, purple on Easter. Easter. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I loved you know, and maybe it's my personality. Maybe I'm like kind of a melancholy person anyway, but <laughs> you're the ER. I don't, I don't see that. I, don't know. <laughs> I loved just getting into, cause I just don't feel like I personally do this enough. You know, we focus on the gospel. We think about what Jesus did in a, in an abstract mm-hmm. sense in a, um, I don't know, like a, uh, clinical way as opposed to Mm -hmm. in like getting involved emotionally oh and you did ask about traditions we've been watching the passion of the christ wait no 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 yeah the passion is that the passion by mel gibson's movie Uh Uh uh-huh we've been watching that on good friday the last few years and i think last year was the first year we let our oldest watch it too that's pretty powerful but there's something great about being in like the, the moment and, and getting sad. And I don't mean oh, that yeah. sad and stay sad because we're not meant to. And if you're going to go there and get sad and then break out into an, a, an Easter celebration, that's great. Mm-hmm. Too. But I just loved getting there. Seeing the black drape was dramatic. And it was like, mm-hmm. for me, I'm a visual learner and it was a very visual depiction of the, the mood and the climate of that day. And so yes, I enjoyed that in, in yeah. a very sad kind of way, but I enjoyed that because mm-hmm. I felt like it helped me to realize more the extent of the sacrifice that it was for Jesus. Yeah. yeah. I remember, I believe this was actually maybe like a Palm Sunday. I don't think it was on Easter Sunday, although it might've been. And my oldest was two and we went to church and they had a trio singing your grace still amazes me. It's a Phillips mm-hmm. Craig and Dean song. And in the background on the screen, they had clips from one of the Jesus movies. Oh. And so it, you know, it showed the crucifixion, it, you know, it went from kind of Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. And I wasn't thinking about my son watching this. Like it was my worst moment to date, you know, cause it wasn't, it wasn't the passion. It wasn't that bloody, but it was still intense. Mm-hmm. And at the end, my son looks at me and he says, them was hurting Jesus. <laughs> and like, I don't think he was scared by it. And that's what I worried about. I was like, what in the world was I doing? Even like sitting in this room with my two-year-old, but you know, it, it stuck with him. Them was hurting Jesus. Oh my goodness. Like, stuff yeah. like that, those kinds of things just make you realize that especially if you've grown up in the church, hearing the gospel from the time that you could even hear, Mm -hmm. um, there is something refreshing about just kind of these glimpses of how a child sees the gospel in Mm -hmm. from their own eyes for the first time. For the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Like I remember when my youngest, he was maybe like seven and he was reading the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe for the first time. Mm -hmm. He didn't know the story. He hadn't seen the movie. And so he's like upstairs with the family when Aslan dies and like, isn't quite crying, but like is getting choked up and is like, this is really sad. I thought this was supposed to be like, you know, a happy book. I thought Aslan was the hero. It was the sense of like almost betrayal. Like the author took my expectations and broke my heart. 
And so we told him, we didn't spoil anything. I'm like, well, go ahead and keep reading. This is a really, really sad part, but it's going to be worth it to keep on reading. And then he got to where Aslan came back to life. And he was like jumping from couch cushion to couch cushion. It's like, Aslan's alive. And I think that when we allow ourselves to experience that depth of sadness, the joy that we then experience is more intense as well. Oh, absolutely. It's like the whole, I don't know, almost the whole mystery of, of, not that we'll ever know why suffering is allowed, but it's like mm-hmm. this whole picture of how we can understand good against the backdrop of bad and how much better good is because we know what bad is. And not that that was the original design or whatever, but anyway, I don't know. Anyway, I just, I think that's, that's kind of a neat picture of that. Was this your youngest Yes, I could totally. Yeah, can that. you picture that? I could see <laughs> he's, it in he's my mind. He's very like enthusiastic when he gets happy. He gets I love it. I could happy. totally picture it. <laughs> Aslan's alive. Yes. <laughs> On a totally different note, I came in from taking the dog out one morning. This was maybe like two, three years ago. He was listening to an audiobook upstairs. He was listening to Where the Red Fern Grows. Mm-hmm. And this time he was crying and he looks at me like big old puppy dog eyes. He says, is little Anne gonna die? And it had been so long since I had, you know, read the book. I'm like, I don't remember, but do you want me to sit and listen to it with you? And oh, it was so heart wrenching. It was terrible. Yes, yeah, that's another that's another tough one. Yeah, and, and in those animal books, the um, you know, the animals don't usually resurrect. <laughs> Sadly. Anyway. Should we talk about, you know, dead pets and just keep the mood really somber? <laughs> I think we should move on. <laughs> all right. So, so how about old yeller? No, right. <laughs> Let's think of all the different ones that we can. Yeah. Well, what we wanted to do today is just sort of a, a special episode for Good Friday is to talk through and maybe pray through some of Jesus's prayer in John 17. So Uh, Jamie, do you want to set the scene for us, kind of where this is happening in the uh, Passion Week timeline? So I actually just looked because I did not realize that this particular chapter comes on the heels of so much teaching that Jesus taught his disciples right there in the upper room. I mean, I knew that he said these things, but I didn't realize that all of these things that he was talking about, like, you know, just really instructing them and and clearly mapping out what would happen and what they should expect. It's amazing. So anyway, all of that to say, you know, that makes it a really neat way to look at, like, imagine that you knew that you were going to like, you were going to, okay, here's, let's keep it somber. (laughs) I'm not going to apologize for bringing it down. There's a really sad story about missionaries who had been getting death threats and basically kind of knew that they were on borrowed time. And then at one point, I think it might've been just the father, but it might've been both of them. They got the, you know, like the note that said, meet us here, um, you know, or bad things are gonna happen to lots of people, not just you. So they kind of knew. And there's a, a little story that kind of describes their last conversation with their children. And they were murdered when they went to that meeting and they kind of knew. And so it's this question of like, imagine you're in that situation where you know you're leaving your children, right? And 
you've got like one more night with them and there's so much you want to tell them. There's so much you want to impart to them. And, and what do you emphasize and what do you let them figure out on their own? You know, what would be like, what's the very first thing if you could only like really drive home one thing to your kids and then you were off to heaven, what would, what would be the, the thing that you would for sure drive home? That uh, to knowing that they would grieve my passing or my leaving that they not, not to turn from God, but to, to go to God mm-hmm. with their pain and mm-hmm. not to give up on God, not to blame God, um, but to have hope that yeah. I was with him and that I was with them in their hearts and in their minds. And you know, that, that I, um, that just my, my biggest fear, I think if that were to happen and I, I, I guess I'm a little morbid at times. I think about it a lot, just what would happen if I was taken from them. And my biggest desire is that they would not turn from God, that they would not blame him or, or take their pain in a different direction, but they would press into God and that through my leaving that God would work in them in ways that he never could have if I had been around. So I think that would be my number one, but there are lots of practical things too, but that's the biggest. How about you? Have you, you know, the first one that comes to mind, like I would, I would kind of like it to be the, the cling to God, (laughs) but it's not the first that comes to mind. The first that comes to mind is just like, stay with each other, take care of each other, look out for each other. You are the closest that like, nobody's going to be closer to you Mm -hmm. than your brothers are. And so do whatever it takes to remain together, united, look out for each other, watch over each other, you know, when needs arise or things like that. That's the first one that comes to my mind which actually is, you know, really similar to what Jesus emphasizes a lot. He emphasizes a lot about unity. He does. And I actually have little journals for each of my kids that I write in and I'm very sporadic Uh, about it, but I, I just, I call it a legacy journal and it's just, I write, you know, I wrote their birth stories in it. I wrote, I write prayers for them and little things that I observe about them just so they won't. Mm -hmm. That's really sweet. And, you know, my hope is after that, I'll give it to them when they leave the house, whenever that is. And my hope is they'll be able to look back on it. And hopefully it'll be kind of that thing of like, okay, what do I want to make sure I tell them, you know, and and that I maybe put Mm -hmm. those things in there to kind of make sure that they are, I don't know, kind of like even when I don't have as much influence with them, that they'll have my words mm-hmm. to look back on. Yeah. Do you know the story? It was one of the astronauts who died in the, um, I always forget which explosion is which, but the early 2000s explosion. And he was a Christian and he had recorded daily like family devotions for his family. And I believe he just recorded them for them to watch. Like I'm going to be gone for 10 days or whatever it is. Here's 10 devotions. But you know, now they have that as, as that kind of legacy, which I think is beautiful. Sometimes I think about this podcast and I think about how you know, my kids will be able to someday because they don't watch it or li- they don't listen to yeah, it now. Right. But I think someday they'll be able to look back and if they want to hear my voice, because there are times when I think, oh, I wish I could hear my mom's voice again. Mm-hmm. And I do have 
videos and, you know, home videos and things, but most of them are on VHS and even real to real to access. Yeah. And it's hard to get to. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I, um, but yeah, I, I think, Hey, if they wanted a, wanted a mom fix, they could check out the podcast and hopefully That's not true. listen to the episodes where I talk about them. <laughs> well, yeah. And I, I love that Jesus's heart is to prepare his disciples yes. for what's to come. He's not checked out. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. he's not like so long suckers. He, he wants to give so much of himself and, you know, you picture the intense stress that he's in and the stress that we're going to see him under in the Gethsemane and the agony that he's going to endure so I guess this is the night before good Friday that they're having this like Thursday evening right and the upper room yeah so like less than 24 hours like let's say maybe 12 to 16 hours throughout he's going to be nailed to a cross he's going to be flogged he's going to be you know not only mocked and ridiculed but he's going to have to endure the not even the brunt but the entirety of the wrath of God and even so you can see how much of his heart and love and energy he's pouring into his disciples at this time. Yeah. And one of the things, like when he tells them about the gift of the Holy Spirit, he says mm-hmm. that when you receive the Holy Spirit, he will remind you of all the words that I've said to you. And I think about that because this is a lot to take in, like for That's us as true. Christians to read it. I mean, this is yeah. chapters. I mean, it goes back chapter mm-hmm. 14, 15, 16, 17. You know, lots of these chapters have just instructions after instructions. They were probably, and they're probably sitting there having the feast of the Passover, you know, reclining and just like full and their brains are kind of mm-hmm. checked out. I imagine yeah. it would be hard to really take it all in. And I get the impression because of how they were after he died, that they didn't fully understand all of it. They didn't, For fully, sure. yeah. they, they didn't fully understand exactly what it meant. And so I think that right. they might've had like incremental revelation from the Holy spirit mm-hmm. reminding them and saying, Oh, wait, he said this would happen. Right. Oh my goodness. That's what this means. And so I yeah. don't know. I just think that's pretty neat that he, it's almost like they had, you know, because of the Holy spirit, they were able to recount these things that he spoke. Yeah. But the Holy spirit wasn't dwelling in them yet. And that's even harder. Like we're sometimes so right. harsh on the disciples and we're like, come on, how many times does a guy have to tell you he's going to rise again for you to believe it? Like how are they get supposed to even understand? And right. so much of what Jesus spoke was in parables. So yeah. I totally get why. Yeah. They probably assumed that he was speaking to them in some kind of metaphor or, you know, or something. So, yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about, you know, trying to remember Jesus's pain and suffering, but I think that's a really good reminder to practice putting yourself in the shoes of the disciples. You've given your life to this man. You've given up comforts. You've given up your home. You've given up your job. Uh, some of them I'm sure gave up like social standing and then you have this wonderful time together and you think that he's speaking, you know, metaphorically about things and the next day he's dead. Yeah. And then you wonder what, what did I put my faith in? Was I wrong? Right. Yeah. No, I'm sure they thought he was indestructible because Mm -hmm. you know, that's why they were like, well, we're going to fight with you. Jesus we will stay with you to the end. I don't think it's so much that they were just totally fickle. I mean, we're all a little fickle and I'm sure they were no different, but I'm sure they thought like, 
he's the son of son of man. They didn't necessarily know what it meant that he was the son of God, but they knew he was powerful. So I'm sure part of them felt like, okay, as long as I'm with this man, I'm indestructible. And so, yeah, it's easy to say I'm behind you. I'm with you. If you're talking to, you know, like Iron Man, <laughs> that doesn't really take courage. If, if you know, you're on the winning side and that your leader has superpowers. <laughs> so yeah, it's so intense when you think about it in those terms like what were the disciples thinking and feeling not only on Friday but for that entire weekend you know I'm sure there was obviously there was fear but I'm sure there's also a sense of betrayal that you know God let us down the man we followed let us down Judas let us down you know all these things yeah yeah so how about, I was thinking that we could maybe read through, even if we don't get through all of John 17, I was thinking we could read through some of what Jesus prays about yeah. as a way to remind us of what to pray. Like this is Jesus's longest recorded prayer, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. You know, aside from this, we have the Lord's prayer, which is really short. And we have a couple times where he does like one or two lines praying out loud to God. But this really is very thorough. And I think that we can see some of God's priorities here. And maybe, not maybe, I know there's going to be things that we can glean from our own prayer lives here. So I'm actually looking at a version that doesn't have the uh, verse numbers, but do you want to read us just kind of that first, in my, at least as I'm looking at it, it's like that first paragraph. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he starts off saying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Yeah, so I'm trying to think of like extrapolations and applications to our own prayer life. And the first thing that really jumps out is that God's glory is the highest priority. Mm-hmm. He's not praying yet about the things that he wants. So, you know, a lot of people, not that it has to be formulaic, but when you look at kind of ways to structure your prayer, a lot of people like to start off with the praise and things like that, you know, to just remember, this isn't about my needs and desires. This is about God being the God of heaven. I think it also is a good reminder when we're praying for things that we do keep God's glory in mind, you know, not my will, but your will be done kind of prayers. Yeah. And even in verse two, where it talks about, you know, he's, he's still as God, the son praying to God, the father in, mm-hmm. in that like uh, submissive form of saying you granted your son authority over all people that he might give mm-hmm. eternal life to all those you have given him. And so, I mean, if Jesus is acknowledging that, yes, your glory is first and foremost, and that everything, every task that you have given us to do is from you. And it's not right. through our own strength even Jesus saying, you know, this, you have given me these people. I didn't take them, you know, he, mm-hmm. he didn't take that on himself as yeah. All these people that I've saved, it's 
I'm saving them because you've given them to me. And so just to keep that in mind too, that whatever we're doing, whatever our calling, no matter what it is to always keep in mind that it's for God's glory and everything that is done and accomplished is from him and through him. Mm -hmm. Definitely agree. I've got more of a theological question for you. Uh So Jesus is God. God is Jesus. Some people like to say that because they are both omniscient, that Jesus never needed to pray. The only reason that we see Jesus praying is because he's setting an example for us. So here's my question. Why does Jesus the Son or God the Son pray to God the Father if they are the same person? Right. And so my thought is, number one, I wonder just because of when Jesus says, only God the Father knows the day or the time, you know, of the second coming. Mm-hmm. I I wonder if his omniscience was limited in any way through his flesh. Yeah. If somehow I think that that makes sense. Yeah. There was a limitation, but he still could see people. He knew the woman at the well. He knew all the things she had done. And it mm-hmm. wasn't just because he sat around listening to the gossip of the women at the well, you know, he, he was knew. just very intuitive. He knew. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. But he, yeah. um, you know, he had a degree of definite knowing that other people didn't have but I I almost look at it as like you can buy a really fancy computer program but if you don't have the right type of processing power and I'm I'm watching the IT terms but like if you've got a really really old slow computer it doesn't matter if you've got like the most high-tech piece of software that computer can't process it and I feel like yeah yeah, our brains are finite Mm -hmm. and I think an argument can be made that that did have at least some type of at the very least like a volitional limitation of Jesus's omniscience as it pertains to his second coming and maybe to other things too. Yeah, I I think so. And so I think in that respect, he still needed to, maybe he, well, I don't know. He still wanted, I I feel like he wanted fellowship with God, you know, because I know that's what, I'm sorry. Keep no, talking no, go. over you. Go ahead. Okay. That's what bugs me so much about the people who say, well, he didn't need to pray. He just wanted to give us an example to obey. Except like all that does is reduces prayer to a chore. Yeah. It's absolutely. like, isn't Jesus lucky? He never had to spend time praying. <laughs> That's almost what it sounds like. It's like me saying, hey, I'm the luckiest woman in the world because I'm married to Scott. So I don't even need to talk to Scott and I'm still going to be married to him. But I'll go ahead and talk to him so that my kids know how to have a conversation with their dad. Like, that's really dumb. I like to talk to my husband. I think that's a really good analogy because like you said, it's a, you know, it does reduce prayer to a thing that you do and not a right. conversation with the almighty God. Yeah. You know? it, it's almost like the people who, and I'm coming across a little bit heated because like, I am passionate about this. So my apologies, if you disagree with me on a theological level and you're listening, but the way I see it is, um, here comes that brain fart I was telling you. I knew I spoke it into existence. And and here's my main point. And then it's just gone. But no, like we um we we shouldn't be treating prayer as just something that we have to do, right? Like, isn't there something to be said for we really like to do this? Like, I don't see meeting with you. We we're kind of in the routine of recording on Wednesday afternoons. I don't look at Wednesday afternoons and be like, oh gotta go do this thing with Jamie now, or I'm going to be sinning against her. So let's just show up and check this off my list. Like, I like talking to you. 
Yeah, no, I, I definitely like that analogy. And, you know, I feel like the other thing that I think drove Jesus to prayer was the stakes were so high, you know, Mm -hmm. Jesus, whether he was omniscient 100% or not, he knew the stakes of what he was doing and who he was. And he knew how short his time was. And I think one of the ways that the enemy gets between us and prayer is convincing us that we have infinite time that Mm -hmm. time to do it later. Mm -hmm. And also just by numbing our, our minds with entertainment and with, um, with, uh, complacency and just going with the Mm -hmm. flow and not to say that there's not a time for entertainment or that Netflix Mm -hmm. is sinful or that anything like that. But what I'm saying is I think Jesus knew he had a very specific task or many very specific tasks that needed to get done. And so he knew how much he had to rely on God for Mm -hmm. direction, for wisdom in how to accomplish them for the yes, the no, the red light, the green light. Um, Mm -hmm. That's my theory. And again, it may not be biblical, theologically, totally sound, but Mm -hmm. that's my thought is that he knew. And so I feel like in, in the same way, if we really recognize, like, think about times when you have a mission and you're like, okay, I've got to get this done. This is something God has put on my heart to do but oh my goodness, I, I can't do this. I'm not equipped and okay, I've got to go to God for it. And you're on your knees. Or if something's wrong, if, if one of your kids is struggling or your husband is struggling and you're just like, I, I need God's help. And you're on your knees because you want to be connected to him. You want to make sure that you don't miss any of the signs to move forward or the halt in your spirit to stay still and quiet, you know? I just think that our focus and our perspective, like if we had Jesus's focus and perspective, then we'd probably pray more. And in some situations, and this is going to be slightly controversial, we would probably serve less, right? Like there were times where there were so many, um, we see both sides. We see at sometimes people come to Jesus bringing their sick and it says like he had compassion on them. He didn't set out to go heal the sick but he saw the need, had compassion and healed them. But other times, like he's in a crowded house, people are bringing their sick people in, people can't even get in. And he goes and leaves, Mm -hmm. you know, he goes up on the mountainside. So we see both. And I think that we're trained to think that a good Christian is the one who jumps in whenever there's a need, whenever there's a place to serve. And we kind of do this like, hamster wheel of ministry. And we think that that's what having a relationship with the Lord is about. And there's, there's so much you're missing if you're making it just about the service that you do. Well, yeah. I mean, I think of the scary verse that talks about, there are going to be people that prophesy in my name. There are going to be people that, you know, speak in mm-hmm. there are people that do ministry and service and do miracles in the name of God. And these people, there are some that will come before me and I'll say, I never knew you mm-hmm. that. Wow. Acts of service yeah. don't get you there. You know, acts of service mm-hmm. don't mean it's not the same as a relationship with God. They can flow out of that relationship and they could be done yeah. because of a desire, but they're not there. They are separate things. And that's hard. I have a hard time teasing that out from one another. Yeah. It reminds me, are you, uh, do you know Fiddler on the Roof? Mm-hmm. It reminds me of when Tevya and Goldie are having their cute little exchange and he wants to know, like, Goldie, do you love me? Mm-hmm. And she's like, 
I milk your cow. I clean your house. I raise your kids. Of course, like, of course I love you. And that that's kind of what it's like. It's like, Jamie, do you love your husband? Well, yeah, I made him breakfast this morning. That's not what I asked though. <laughs> we have that conversation. My husband and I have the conversation because one of my love languages is to, the way that I show love to others is acts of service. And so mm-hmm. in my mind, having clean underwear in your drawer <laughs> is an act of love. And it flows out of love, but it's not, not the love itself. Yeah. Right. It's very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, of course I love you. I, I clean your socks. Yes. <laughs> I love it in, in the song and Fiddler on the Roof. Like she, she adds in there like, I milk your cow. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> like she's so insane again or watch that again because that I I do love that I love I oh love it's a great couple of movies and that have been made but I love the Broadway version mm-hmm, mm-hmm. righty. uh the next big chunk of Jesus's prayer is where he's praying for specifically his 12 disciples we don't necessarily need to read through all of it like if there's parts that you might want to point out and highlight Jamie can I wanted to point out and highlight the part at the end so he says My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So this is kind of obviously where the phraseology comes, like Christians should be in the world, but not of it. Jesus is saying, like, protect them from the world, but don't take them out of the world. Uh, What kind of applications do you see here for our prayer lives or kind of less specifically our Christian lives? For me personally, this, this verse, this passage has a lot of meaning because this was when we were trying to decide whether or not to continue homeschooling my oldest. Mm -hmm. And I was praying for God to give me scripture very specifically. And so one of the scriptures as I was reading was this. And as I read this, my prayer is not that you take them out. Well, it started with, um, I think it might've been one of the other books where it talks about sheep Mm -hmm. among wolves. Is that Mm -hmm. something? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just for the record, my kids are in public school and, or they were. And um, so I'm not saying there's anything wrong with public schooling, but in my head, the difference between them being at home all day, every day. And my son that I was thinking of sending back to public school, Mm -hmm. it is kind of a a feeling of, okay, sheep among wolves, what's going to happen? How different will this be than being protected Mm -hmm. at home? And um, anyway, that phrase, you know, I'm sending, uh, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, but he Mm -hmm. prays to God. My prayer isn't that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And that was one of the many confirmations that God gave me that you don't have to take him out of the world for him to be protected from the enemy. You know, I can, yeah. this. if this is what I have for him for this year, that's, that's what he's going to do. And it'll be mm-hmm. fine. But so as far as, um, our prayer lives, when I think about how to apply that, it's when I'm praying for the people that I love, there is such a degree of, you know, sometimes I tend to want to have control I want to keep them Mm -hmm. out of harm's way. I even want to pray sometimes that they would be spared. Yeah. Kind of discomfort. Absolutely. 
And mm-hmm. I certainly act in that way where I want to keep them from experiencing discomfort. But mm-hmm. I think the, that we need to pray, you know, Jesus is my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. It's not that you spare them from every single discomfort or every single risk that's out there. And I'm not saying that we should not pray for protection for our kids in the physical sense, or that we should not try to remove them from, you know, and be, be smart about the things that we allow them to place themselves in the middle of. You're not going to just, you know, tell your 12 year old, Oh yeah, here, take the keys and go drive. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think we can learn that we can't look at comfort and lack of conflict or lack of risk as the goal. We need to look at God's protection and God's will for them, whatever that holds, and for him to be the one doing the protecting ultimately. Yeah. And to make sure yeah. we remember that. I think that's a really, really good way to look at it. Like you and I both have kids in our like almost mid-teens now. And totally the way mid-teens. I look at it, I know. It's like imagine like graduating high school, having never made a decision, <laughs> having never had to choose, you know never faced any moral temptation. And then all of a sudden you're out of the house and you've had no experience with any of that, you know? And so like, I don't personally like the idea of, you know, like high school students seriously dating each other. Like my kids quite aren't there yet. So I might be singing a different tune in three years. I don't love that idea, but I also really understand the parents whose mindset is, you know what, we would rather have them learn how to be in a relationship where we have input and we have the ability to speak into our kids' lives. Right. Now, that doesn't mean it has to be, yeah, that doesn't mean it has to be like really, really, really serious. That's the side of it that I'm not fond of. But I get this sense of let's let them learn in an environment where they've got a safety net. Yeah, no. And, and that applies to so many different things and every family is different. Don't look Mm -hmm. at one family and think, you know, I think it's important not to compromise your convictions as long Mm -hmm. as they're God given convictions and not based out of fear or Or control. That's a lot of, that's a good one. Control. Yeah. I thought if I could with a hundred percent success, keep my child from seeing or hearing like scary or violent things or vile things, then that was going to guarantee that they were going to grow up with a pure and sinless heart. And that's so contrary to scripture. That doesn't necessarily mean we throw up our hands, right? And and say, well, if they're going to do something, they're going to do something or, oh, the world is so corrupt. We can't set ground rules. But it also means that we need to recognize like getting through life not having heard somebody speak a bad word, that's not anybody's goal, right? Like where in the Bible does it say that that's, that's the aim? Does it mean that you can't set your standards and be smart and wise and prudent? And I think we all need to do that, but we also have to remember that's not the goal. The goal is to honor the Lord, glorify him, share his word and his gospel and his love with others. Yeah. Amen to that. And I, um, I, I find myself falling into that same trap too. And, and there is no magic formula and and Mm -hmm. it just goes into, you know, and I, I do find when I look at my own life, not that the goal is to let them sin or let them fail Mm -hmm. or let them suffer, but 
some of my sufferings, some of my sins and failures have been used in huge ways for God to launch me closer to him. And yeah, I just have to keep that in mind as I see my kids getting to the age where they're making decisions and they're mm-hmm. you know, doing things that I need to just remember that we need to just keep going to God with that open-handed prayer, you know, yeah. protect them from the evil one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yep. Anything else in this section that jumps out to you that you want to chat about? Well, and also this in verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And, you know, it's kind of this idea of just praying for the body of Christ. I think this whole thing, like we can, I I think about children since that's the stage of life and and place I'm in right now, but we can Mm -hmm. pray for missionaries, for our church leaders, for our pastors, you know, to just say Mm -hmm. you've been sent into the world and, and we just need to pray these prayers of them. It talks about right after that in verse 19, for them, I sanctify for that, for them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that just praying for, for the sanctification of the body of Christ for the protection and, and purity and, Mm -hmm. you know, of our leaders and yeah, all of that. It's really applicable to, um, you know, to us who are kind of sometimes on the sidelines, right? Mm -hmm. Like you and I aren't on the mission field. Uh, we're not standing in front of a congregation. We aren't in that line of work. Like a lot of our attention is focused homeward and a lot of our attention is focused on the podcast. And both of those feel like behind the scenes kinds of things. And I had a friend who was very passionate, just like I am. And that's why we became friends about a lot of the human rights issues that we both had tremendous prayer burdens for. And she asked me once, she's like, don't, or how do you handle your feelings of guilt knowing that other people are doing the front lines work in these areas and we're just sitting back? And I was a little embarrassed. Her question caught me off guard because I didn't feel guilty. (laughs) And so I started to feel guilty for not feeling guilty. And then the more I realized it, the more I realized that my gift at that exact moment was that I had the time and spiritual and emotional energy to invest as an intercessor. And that's time and mental and spiritual energy I wouldn't have had if I was constantly on the front lines. And so whether or not you feel guilty about not being on the mission field or something like that, that's almost immaterial. If you're at a spot where you're not really like in constant spiritual attack, you're like, if life feels easy right now for you and like things are okay, I think that we need to remember um, to him who has been given much, much will be demanded. And the way I see our duty and obligation and calling when we're in those seasons where things just feel kind of fine or good, that we can take that as opportunities to really cover the people in prayer who don't have the time and energy to to pray thoroughly on their own. That is so good. So it reminds me of when we moved from a place that had um, sidewalks in our neighborhood where I probably, so I, every once in a while I get into maybe jogging. I never have been a runner, but you know, jogging Mm -hmm. is kind of exercise, especially when I have lived in places where the weather is nice longer than it is here. But so 
when we lived in Arizona prior to moving to Alaska, there was a neighborhood and it had sidewalks all over and, and it was, the weather was pretty nice. And I maybe jogged twice in the five years that we lived there. And when I found out we were moving and we got here and realized what house we would be in, one of my first thoughts was there are no sidewalks. I'm not going to be able to go jogging as easily. As (laughs) if, Of course I can go jogging. I can jog out of our neighborhood to the sidewalks there, but there's this thought. So as soon as the opportunity to have sidewalks was taken away, Mm -hmm. I had this intense desire to jog. (laughs) This is true with my prayer life. When, as soon as I can, so as soon as I become sick, or mm-hmm. something happens where I am not able to get the things done that need to be done, or I'm not free emotionally, or I'm going through a difficult time. And I feel like I'm, I don't have that, that free white space to, to yeah. pray outward as much as I am just mm-hmm. in survival mode. Yeah. I think, oh man, I wish I had prayed more when I was not going through this or yeah. it wasn't a difficult time. So mm-hmm. this is a great reminder because right now I am in a situation where I feel like for the most part, things are pretty smooth. I'm in a mm-hmm. decent routine and it's a great reminder that when yeah. you have the time and the energy, use it to pray and use it, mm-hmm. in, you know, you use that time. Yes, Absolutely. Well, let's dive a little bit into this last section. So the kind of flow of this prayer is Jesus prays for God to be glorified. And then he spends uh, about 50% of his guests, just based on how much space it takes on my screen, is prayers for his disciples, Mm -hmm. you know, the 12 that are there with him. And then the last little section is him switching gears and praying for you and me, which is, you know, this is a recorded prayer that Jesus has prayed for me, Alana, and you, Jamie, and everybody listening. So um, let's go ahead and, and read it out loud. If you don't mind do that, my voice is a little sore today, but yeah, as you're no, reading it, to. like, I would love to encourage people listening to like, really let that side of it sink in. This isn't just like a recorded prayer from 2000 years ago to some people that we're never going to meet till we get to heaven. This is Jesus's prayer for you specifically. Yeah. All right. This is verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, meaning the message of the disciples, that all of them may be one. Just as you in just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Love the part at the end. You know, I have made myself known to them. If you really put yourself into that pronoun, like Jesus himself made himself known, like in one way, it's really cool to look back and realize like every single 
um, person who taught you about the gospel had somebody in their life who taught them about the gospel, right? So we have like spiritual great, 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 great grandparents, you know, or godparents, if you will. Um, so in a way, it's kind of cool to see like God preserved his gospel. He preserved his truth for us for so long. But also this is so much more direct and personal. I have made you known like Jesus made God known to you. Jesus made God known to me. Yeah, that's huge. And it's just, it does. When you think back, it's like looking in a mirror. What, how does that work? When there's a mirror behind you where it's just, it just keeps going. The going infinite, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, to think about that is kind of mind blowing. It really is. Mm -hmm. And this mm -hmm. particular passage is so personal and just so I mean, wow, this is Jesus praying for us. I mean, that's, that's amazing. I love this. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, his emphasis here again, it's on unity, it's on love. And I think that that's a really important key to know just how close to God's heart these issues are. There are lots of other issues that are also very close to his heart. But those didn't all make it into this last prayer. I'm not saying that we necessarily can conclude, therefore, love and unity are the, the very most important things, but it sure adds a level of significance to them. It does. And I mean, when you listen to what Jesus says are the first two most important commandments, it's love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, it's like the same kind of thing. It's love and, and unity is, is really, mm -hmm. I think it's safe to say that those are the two number one things, love for God and then unity with, with the body of believers. That's huge. Yeah. So any other closing thoughts? Just, uh, I guess just to realize it's just for me personally, it's, it's really been, important, I think, to take this time and look through this prayer and just think, because, uh, you know, we think about the Lord's prayer, how Jesus taught us to pray or taught the disciples to pray, but this is him modeling prayer. And it, it does mm -hmm. go outside. It does reveal his heart and it does go outside of some of the parameters of the Lord's prayer to give us an even mm -hmm. bigger picture of yeah. how he felt led to pray and what the things were that were important to him. And I think it really can if we meditate on this and kind of take this in, I think it can shape our own prayers in a way that that's really pretty amazing. It is. Well, all that being said, shall we close in a word of prayer? Yeah. All right. You opened us. So I'll go ahead and close us. Okay. God, we do thank you so much for your sacrifice and sending your son and going to the cross on our behalf and saving us from our sins we recognize that we're unworthy of that gift. And I just pray that everybody listening would understand even just a fraction more deeply, the love that you have for us and the sacrifice that you made for us. I pray for everybody this Good Friday. I pray that hearts would turn toward you and that you would be leading hundreds of thousands of people today toward repentance and salvation and sanctification. We do pray for the unity of your church, Lord. I just pray that Christians would exemplify that love and that unity that is so close to your heart. Pray that you would help Jamie and me to do 
even if it's just a small part in helping to spread your love and your unity. And we pray the same for all the members of the Praying Christian Women community. We ask that you would reveal yourself to us as even more powerful and more loving uh, than we already know you as. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows. Then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show, and we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him and change the world one prayer at a time.